In chapter 14, um, begin with verse 1, I hear the word of God. John writes, Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him the 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who followed the Lamb wherever He goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as first fruits for God and the Lamb, and in their mouth no lie was found. They are blameless. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory. The hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Another angel, a second, followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. Another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in its image and then receives a mark on his on his forehead or on his hand, he will also drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. And they have no rest, day or night, these worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud and seated on the cloud, one like a son of man, with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put in your sickle and reap, for the hour has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, the angel who has authority over the fire, and he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, Put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vines of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth, and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city, and blood flowed from the winepress, as high as a horse's bridle, for 1,600 stadia. 
just about 180 miles. And I saw another, another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire. And also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. This is the word of the Lord to us. It can be hard to believe the truth sometimes. Uh, in fact, sometimes the hardest thing for us to be able to believe uh, is the truth. For instance, the Gators right now. It's going to be really hard for them to believe that FSU is the top-ranked football team in the state of Florida. Um, they see it on the, on the AP poll, the ESPN poll, and they're just like, no, it can't be right. And they keep looking at it. Or um, It's true, right? They get to imagine that all these Gators are getting together, and they don't really believe it. They see it there. They know they're ranked 22. Miami's not even on the top 25 anymore. And you know, up several places from, uh, from UF, and there's... Florida State. Yes, that's right. That's us. Um, but, I'm, but I'm sure as they get together and talk that they still don't believe that it's true. We're actually not only higher ranked, but the better uh, team in Florida. And hopefully they'll get to experience that um, <laughs> come the end of November. Sometimes it's hard to believe out of things that are true. Maybe we don't like them. Um, on, a, on a much more uh, serious note, I had a friend in, uh, in high school, a guy who uh, really who was anorexic. He really struggled with anorexia. And it was part, of the, part of that uh, disease is that it, it's hard to believe what's true. Uh, for him, when he was, when he was younger, he'd been like, a bit on the, on the healthy side. So when he had high school, he started dieting. He says, no, I'm going to get my life together, get my uh, weight together. And uh, the dude lost a lot of weight. Um, and, I mean... Just remember looking at it, looking over one day and seeing him at school, and it just looked a lot more like a skeleton. His face was just sunken in. Um, he was he was nothing but bones, and he got to the point where he was uh, he was fainting and just didn't have the have the energy um, uh, because he was uh, dealing with anorexia. And everyone else who, who knew him could see it, uh, and and his friends would say things about it to him. Uh, he had the doctors telling him, it's, it's not safe for you to be like this. You, you need to gain more weight. Um, it was true. He was, he was way too thin. He was bones. Um, but he couldn't see it. Uh, so things like that. He, he looked at him and says, no, I'm still, I'm still overweight. I'm, I'm unattractive. I'm, uh, I'm not where I, where I should be. It's hard for him to, to be able to see the truth in order to believe it. Listen, sometimes our viewpoint becomes uh, so warped that the truth, no matter how true it is, the truth just doesn't make sense. It doesn't seem like it possibly could make sense. Sometimes that's because of our own uh, desires, our own experiences. Sometimes it's from the surrounding context that we're in or the culture around us. Uh, in chapters 12 and 13, as it talked about uh, the dragon and the beast from the earth, the beast from the sea and the beast from the earth, we saw it was talking about uh, Satan's work and exposing the lie of, of Satan as uh, the liar. 
writer who's offering victory, who's uh, requiring uh, worship, right? Requiring this worship of the beast. Uh, but, but the numbers six six six, you can calculate it. Leaves uh, leaves incomplete. And in twelve and thirteen, it talks about exposing the lie. In chapter fourteen, it gives a different angle on it, that's encouraging us to embrace truth. Truth is hard for us to believe. Encouraging us to embrace it and to hold on to it. You see, I mentioned the difficulty of it in verse, verse 12. Here's the call for the endurance of the saints. It's hard to hold on to. It takes perseverance. Uh, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith, their reliance on Jesus, um, call to embrace the truth. Sometimes, from our viewpoint, the truth just doesn't make sense. Um, you can think of, uh, um, think of the Roman Empire. For several centuries in the Roman Empire, uh, the idea that Rome could fall was, was laughable. It made absolutely no sense that the Roman Empire, uh, with all of its greatness, with all of its strength, could ever, could ever be defeated. Like maybe some Roman outpost somewhere, yes, there'd be wars going on out there. But for several centuries, it made no sense that the Rome, uh, the Roman Empire itself could fall. But now you can open up, you know, uh, given the sixth volume, Rise and Fall of the Roman Empire. It's, it's part of our understanding of, of history. Um, or the empires before that, the Babylonian Empire. Daniel, uh, Daniel 5 talks about the, the night before the Babylonian Empire fell to the Medo-Persian Empire. Uh, Belteshazzar, one of the kings, is, is feasting. They're, they've got no worries. They're just celebrating what they have. And the fall comes. Listen, in our culture, uh, the gospel makes no sense. It doesn't. The, the, the gospel seems much more like, uh, seems like nonsense, right? To say that there was a man who was, who was God, and he lived, and then he was, he was killed. He was executed as a criminal. And then a few days later, he came to life. Um, and all of this is to rescue us. Like, it's just a little odd. Like we, that's the God, that, that doesn't make a lot of sense to us. Why do we need uh, being rescued? What are, what, what's this saying anyway? And, uh, man is God. Even, even the idea of God in our culture generally seems kind of small-minded. Uh, it seems ignorant. You're just maybe stuck in the tradition uh, of, of yesteryear or of your upbringing, um, but, the, but that in our science, uh, in, our, in our time, we've advanced beyond that. We can set our own destiny. Yes, you need to have some spiritual uh, focus, something that encourages you, but to, but to say this is true, that there's some, some God who made everything and rules everything and is going to judge everything, um, it seems more like nonsense uh, in our culture. Listen, sometimes because of our desires, our experiences, sometimes because of just the prevailing beliefs uh, around us, it's hard to believe the truth. The book of Revelation, these passages are, are giving us a vision that exposes the lie uh, and calls us to embrace the truth and hold on to it. I'm going to look at three different sides of that, just kind of tracking through the passage. Uh, and the first of, first of those things is to look at our true uh, worshipers. In the first five verses of chapter 14, Revelation, it gives us a vision of, of true worshipers, this 144,000 there with the, with the lamb. Um, now, I've been called out about this, so, so I'll, admit it, I'll admit it publicly um, that I did not expect FSU to win on Saturday. Um, I was thrilled when we won. It was awesome. I was asked about the game beforehand, who did I think was going to win? I didn't, I didn't think it was going to happen. Um, 
<laughs> it was thrilling. I've been floating all week on the on the Miami win. It's been great. Uh, 45 to 17. Happy happy 45th, uh, Jimbo Fisher. It's great. Um, one of my favorite parts of the game. Um, there was many favorite parts to enjoying that game, starting with their missed field goal. Man, it was good. Um, but one of the things I really enjoyed was near the end of the game, uh, the camera pans pans out and just goes around the stadium. And there was all these empty seats. Miami fans left that stadium. They knew they were getting beat. It was not fun for them anymore, and they were gone. And the camera keeps going around, and there's the guard and the gold. There's our fans standing, clapping, enjoying it, reveling in their defeat, reveling in our victory. Um, all right, that camera kind of pan across the stadium is, is a little bit like what you have here, but it turns and focuses on the 144,000. Um, this is coming in part of this whole vision for, or this whole section from 12 uh, to 15 where we read. It's, it's been talking about the dragon and the beast from the sea and the beast uh, from the earth. That these beasts that are deceiving all who dwell on the earth, right? And then those who aren't going along with it are, are, are being killed or being gotten rid of. It's talking about the number of the beast, the 666 being placed on the foreheads or, uh, or forearms of, of all the people uh, that are worshiping it. And as it's, as it's talking about all of that, then it, then it pans to a different angle, uh, and you see uh, the worshipers. You see the 144,000. You see Mount Zion uh, and the Lamb standing with his people, with 144,000. It's like seeing the garnet and the gold in the sea of the orange and green, right? Um, in the end where the green and orange are gone and they're, they're still standing. Um, we are, when we're surrounded by the lie and the seeming victory of that lie, we need some reminder of the actual truth. For this way, can you, can you imagine if you had a normal, healthy body, but you live in a community of anorexic people? Everyone is, is bone thin, and everyone thinks that that's good, that that's what's desirable, right? Um, there's just no way to have a healthy, healthy sense of, of self. If everyone you're living around is bone thin and thinks that's the way you should be, and imagine how encouraging it would be if then you could, all of a sudden, you've only been around bone thin people, and then there's, like, regular people, people with the same, like, bodies like yours that are, that are normal, that are healthy, that are not starving themselves. Um, we need some reminder of the actual truth, right? The, the second beast, as it's talked about, is even described as, as looking like a lamb. It's impersonating God. It's impersonating Christ as the lamb. Um, but now, no longer are you seeing everyone uh, with, uh, with the name and the number of the lamb on them. You're seeing Christ, uh, the name and the number of the beast. You're seeing Christ on Mount Zion, the true king, um, you're seeing the name of Christ and of God uh, on them, right? It says, uh, it says with him the 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. Um, my Christians are called Christians to say they're, they're, they're like little Christ. There's a, there's a sense in which that we're supposed to be reflecting the character of Christ. What God is doing in us as he's brought us into fellowship with Christ is, is making us, uh, shaping us into Christ's character and forming us to his, his image. Um, so it talks about the 144,000. You can be saying, what is, who are the 44,000? Um, 44,000 are all true Christians um, throughout, throughout history. And what we need is to be able to see others standing with Christ. 
we're surrounded by the lying. We're surrounded by people worshiping the beast. We need to see others standing with Christ. The 144,000 have already been introduced in chapter 7, uh, and, it, and it tells us a little bit more about them. It describes them just overall as the servants of God, say, uh, Christians. They're those who are, who are sealed to make it through the suffering that's coming at that point. Uh, the 144,000 is also shown to be an innumerable multitude from every uh, nation, language, and people. Uh, but you look at this passage, you might think maybe the 144,000 is, is different for some other reason here. I mean, uh, it, it talks about that, what does it say about them? That uh, um, uh, it is these that have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It might seem reasonable to think that, you know, the number of, of men who are virgins by the end of their lives still over all of history might be around 144,000, right? Maybe that's, that's reasonable. Um, the, the idea there is it's a representative. These are images, right? They're, they're uh, literally what, what uh, John saw, but they're representative of things to us. Uh, it's representative of purity. Never in Scripture is it, is it talked about that uh, for, is it looked upon to be even impure for a man to, be, uh, um, to not be a virgin having been with his wife. Um, the, the idea is one of, of, of purity, just like first fruits that it talks about a little bit later. Verse 5, it says this, In their mouth no lie was found. They're blameless. That's the idea of it. They're committed only to the Lamb, solely uh, to the Lamb. So what do you see them doing? It flashes to the 144,000. So we've been looking at it decent. And, and what are they doing? They're worshiping. Worshiping the Lamb. They're singing a new song that no one else has seen. They're the one that experienced this redemption. The redemption. Uh, they're worshiping the Lamb. Uh, we're, we're told about the 144,000. These are those who follow the Lamb. Right? Not, not following the beast. Uh, they follow wherever he goes. That looks like suffering. Maybe it looks like death. But they're Christ followers. When everyone else bounds to, bounds down to the beast or there's something in the world that we worship that we think is going to bring us happen, happiness, no, they're unwilling to give allegiance uh, to anything else, to anyone else. Hebrews says about Christians now that when we worship, where do we worship? We worship anywhere. We worship here. We worship them. Where do we worship, though? That, that spiritually we worship in Mount Zion, in the true heavenly temple where God is, where Christ has gone before us, that we're welcomed into God's, uh, God's express and true presence. Uh, here's a picture of Mount Zion, of Christians in the middle of, of all the lies, uh, and the Christians in the middle of satanic attacks all around us, <clears throat> calling to, to follow other things. Come, focus on the Lamb, focus on the throne, and worship Him. But the worship is formative uh, for us. Uh, worship focuses who we are and our understanding in it. If you, if you want to experience truth, if you want to embrace truth, if you want to stand against the lie, uh, it happens in worship. If you're talking to someone who says they want to, like they're not sure if they're a Seminole fan yet, they came from somewhere else, they're here, they're trying to figure out whether they're a Seminole fan, what do you tell them to do? Listen, you've got to come to the game with us. Uh, you've got to stand there with the garner and the gold and the teams on the field and cheer, and you're going to be a Seminole fan. Um, this is how it's going to work. Uh, if you uh, want to embrace the truth and follow Christ, worship. Come, come among a community of people where he is worshipped for us. Um, it should be formative for us. It should be the things that we're, that we're focused on. 
Um, but the win over Miami uh, has made a difference for my week. Probably, probably revealed something not good. Um, ways in where I'm following uh, FSU football as the beast or something. Um, but, um, but it makes a difference to our week. Our worship uh, should, should be the, so, some informative force for the week of our focus on Christ, of our seeing of the truth, embracing it, and holding on to it as we see it there. We see true worshipers in the first five verses. We come to the second section, verses 6 through 13, and we see a warning. We see a true warning. It's the, these three different angels, uh, first proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming judgment, all the way through proclaiming warning. Uh, I'm sure that all of you know that you're always supposed to read the warning label, right? Whenever you open something, there's going to be a warning label over there. You should read the warning label because there's going to be these little packets of silica, and you're going to think, I bet that tastes good. I wonder what it tastes like. But actually it says, do not eat. Right? It's, it's dangerous. You're worried about this. Um, right, most of the time when we see warning labels, we pay no attention to it. Uh, we're really not worried about it. Um, you see the, or, or it goes the other way. You see the no trespassing sign, and what do you think? Ooh, I wonder what's back here, right? Why did they put up this sign when their neighbors didn't put There's got to be something good going on there. Um, that'd be fun to go find out. Um, personally, you know, I, like some of y'all know the way I drive. It's not necessarily commendable. Um, but, yeah, you go and you see the road signs. You got warning road signs all the way through. Um, the ones that kill me the most, honestly, are the ones that say curve 15 mile per hour. Have you ever tried to drive 15 miles per hour on one of those, one of those curves? It feels like painfully slow, like you're like, you're never going to get around this curve. Um, right, so we just don't pay attention to the warning labels, or maybe I don't pay attention to warning labels so often. I would pay a lot more attention if it says sharp curve is going to feel pretty good right about 35. Um, but if it also says if you're going 55, you're going to slip out of this turn and crash. Slow down, right? Like, yeah, that's the sign that I need, right? That tells me exactly where I can go through this turn. It's going to be a good experience. Um, <laughs> to get across the difference between a not very good and a true warning. Uh, what we have from these angels is a, is a true warning, one that we should actually pay attention to. It's not just saying, don't eat the silica, which you would have known anyway. Um, it's giving something true for you to, for you to, uh, for you to deal with. Talks about this first angel uh, proclaiming the eternal gospel, right? This loud voice, fear God, give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. The worship him who made heaven and earth to see the springs of water. Never think of the uh, gospel as a warning. Uh, so we've seen the first angel. He's talking about the gospel. He's talking about it as a warning. If, if Jesus is the true uh, victorious king and the only one who's fully reigning and will reign forever, um, then there's a lot of warning to those who won't follow him or submit to him or honor him or worship him. He's the reigning king. And in Scripture, always, the gospel is a warning. John the Baptist, Jesus' own ministry, uh, it's repent because the kingdom of God is at hand. It's calling us out of where we are to trust in him. He brings us something, something glorious, something better that's good news, but it's a warning for where we are. Uh, and, the, and the truth of scriptural uh, uh, warning, it, it starts, with, starts with where we are. It starts with our rebellion uh, against God. Right, we tend to think of the gospel as being uh, focused on us. Uh, it's offering 
good things to you that you want but that you maybe don't have. It's offering love and fullness. It's offering eternal life. It's offering security. It's offering forgiveness. And it does. Uh, but it's focused on God's glory in that. Um, and it's a warning of our rebellion for not submitting to him because he's king. The warning of the gospel. It's also a warning of, uh, of our hopes. A warning that, our, that a lot of our hopes maybe are about to crumble. So you see in the second angel, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. Um, listen, if you lived in Babylon back in the day of the Babylonian Empire, um, you were set. You were well taken care of. The economy was good. Things are prospering. Life is healthy. Um, your king's not going to come crashing down. He's ruling over all the other kingdoms. Um, you're good. Fallen, fallen is Babylon. Babylon, the great. It seemed like it can never fall. Um, <clears throat> Babylon would be one of those things where you would see uh, uh, one of the, in, in the book of Daniel, Babylon is one of those beasts that, that the beast in Revelation 13 is, is representing any conglomeration uh, of, of, these, of these beasts, of these institutions that we trust in, institutions that we trust in uh, to bring about our happiness, to bring about our security, um, uh, to bring about that the, the we're, the we're resting in. And it's telling us that not to trust in those. They're going to crumble and fail. People who are trusting in their uh, money or in economics over the past uh, several years lost a lot. Um, it's been difficult. You can trust in your job and, and success and in looks and your ability and whatever you might be able to make for yourself. Um, you can trust in FSU football. It's got its right place. You should be, you should be a fan of FSU. Um, you can trust in FSU football that that's going to be your satisfaction. And then comes the lost decade, and it hurts for a while. It's going to crumble. Hopefully it's rising back up. Not as the beast. Um, but, uh, I, I love America. America's great. I'm a fan of America. I'm, I'm patriotic uh, about America. I'm thankful for so much that we have. Um, at the same time, it's not going to last forever. Um, and you shouldn't be building your trust in being an American or what our country or our president or our, our institutions can accomplish. Um, you've got the example of Babylon. You've got the example of Rome. Um, the vision of, of Revelation is a better vision than the vision of the American dream. The vision of us having what we want for ourselves we have a vision of Christ making all things right and us being brought into it freely. There's a warning. The things that we hope in, that they'll crumble. The third angel uh, gives maybe a more personal uh, warning, a harsh warning of judgment uh, from God. Um, God's not going to look kindly on false worshiping, false worshipers. Uh, scripture, God describes himself as a jealous God. And he's offended by, uh, by sin. Uh, and, the, and the tone of the passage is, is harsh. It's, it's the wine. Make them drink the wine of God's wrath poured out in full strength into the cup of his anger. Like, there's, a, there's a lot going on there. It, it's a warning. Uh, the smoke of their torment goes up forever, it says. Right, these warnings aren't 15 mile per hour curves that kind of need to pay attention to, but not really. Uh, or, or don't eat silica. Uh, this is a true warning that says if you're going 55 mile per hour around this curve, your wheels won't be just slipping. You're going to slip all the way out of this curve and crash. 
It's a warning so that you can embrace the truth and slow down. It's a warning so that you can give up false worship and false hope and look to Jesus. A warning to embrace Christ being judged for you, uh, that He is the hope of our salvation. See, pastors talk about true worshipers, uh, true warnings, and also true wrath. Um, verses 14 to 20 describes a picture uh, of, of true wrath, this imagery of, of harvesting, um, uh, swinging the sickle, uh, pulling in the grapes. Uh, it's a picture of wrath. And honestly, uh, we have a hard time knowing what to do with this. I have a hard time knowing what to do with this picture. Um, when it describes people as, as grapes of wrath, right, um, put into a wine press, trodden outside the city and, and blood coming out of the wine press. Um, and it, it's intended to be a shocking image for us. Um, it's, it's as high as a horse's bridle. Um, you know, you've been around horses about six feet, something like that. Um, 1600 stadia, that's what I was that's about 180 miles. That's out from here to Jacksonville, a little bit further. Blood, six feet high. Um, God has real wrath that he's dealing with sin. We have a, we have a hard time uh, with that picture. We don't have a hard time with watching Miami get crushed and rubbing their face in it, right? Um, that feels good. We get that. We're, we're there, right? Um, and we're not going to be showing any pity when the Gators lose. You're like, oh, but look, they feel bad. Um, I'll be honest, I reveled in it when Tebow was crying. We're not even playing, right? Like, that was a wonderful moment in my life. That's all I said. We're okay okay with that in those situations. And and granted, all right, this is making a very trite comparison. Because here it's talking about uh, eternal judgment. Really, I think the the biggest difficulty we have is because we think of God in a trite way. Uh, and we think of sin, especially, in a trite, uh, lighthearted way. It's, it's not a light thing to God. Um, what, what, what doesn't make sense is that we get that much uh, pleasure out of Miami losing. Um, what does make sense is that God um, has a passion uh, for justice and things being right and, and all things evil being put away. Disobeying God, worshiping other things is... Um, big deal. It's not normal. Uh, it feels normal to us. It's, <clears throat> Revelation presents us with the horrifyingly stark uh, contrast of how God looks at it. All the whole tenor of scriptures that all sin deserves complete uh, condemnation. And, and part of the reason we have such a hard time is because we look and we go, deserving God's wrath, sin, that's me. That's my life. Um, this, this, that's, that's the wine press that I deserve to be trodden out in if this is really what God thinks of, of sin and how what God thinks of sinners. This is what we deserve. Honestly, according to passage, this is what all of us deserve. It's horrifying. And it's also what Christ has taken for his people. Um, it was Christ who had to drain uh, the cup of God's wrath to the dregs. Right? He says to uh, John, his brother, are you able to drink the cup that, I'm, that I have to drink? Um, uh, as the cup of God's wrath poured out against sin. It's what we deserve. 
that Christ has been judged uh, for his people, taken our sin away, removed it from us, that there remains no more uh, punishment for sin in Christ, no more condemnation. Um, but it's, it's one way or the other. It's judged in Christ with him our, as our representative or else judged by him. Uh, the, the image of the one, the Son of Man seated on, on, a, on a white cloud is the image, it's a picture of Christ um, coming as judge. One way or another, a sin and evil will be put away. Uh, if it wasn't, then the new Jerusalem wouldn't be good. Um, the new heavens and the new earth would be all messed up. He puts evil away. <clears throat> Not just revelation. Uh, that's all of Scripture that paints Jesus as the judge. Jesus hates sin. It's real wrath. It's true wrath. He hates it with a passion. Uh, even enough that he would come be crucified that we could have salvation. It will be put away. Listen, sometimes uh, the hardest thing is to believe the truth. Uh, to embrace the truth and be able to see it from our own desires and experiences, the culture around us, one of the hardest things is to see the truth. Um, in the Gospels, Jesus calls out to us with the truth. In Revelation, it calls out with the truth. In the Gospel, Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate, right? I saw these, these, these two paths. He says, enter by the narrow gate. Um, but the other path is wide. The, the road is easy. There's a lot of people on it. If you're walking down that road, someone talking to you from the side going, enter by this narrow gate over here. You're like, that doesn't make any sense. There's like no one on that road. Looks a little dark. It's a little scary over there. Not sure the stuff I'm carrying is going to fit. Everyone over here is going down this road. I'm sure they know what they're doing. Right? I'm sure they know what they're doing. Surely all these people can't be wrong. Surely our culture uh, can't be wrong that... That we have, right? We've moved past Christianity. That was, that was an earlier time. We, we're something else. Surely the Roman Empire is never going to fall. Oh, wait. That, that happened, right? Um, the truth is more difficult. There's few people on it. Uh, but still, the call of the gospel comes to you. Jesus said, enter. You're invited. You're called. You're commanded. Enter by the narrow gate. Enter by Jesus himself. That he brings us into his worship. As it says, there's, there's true wrath uh, that's coming. But you've often been given a true warning for you to listen to it the way it's said. And you're also given the invitation to join with the true uh, worshipers of the Lamb. In the middle of all this hard stuff and the weird stuff and crazy stuff and the judgment and the peace and the deception... The beginning and the end of the passage we read is what? Singing. It's singing. It's singing in worship of God and of the Lamb. The passage begins and ends with singing. Uh, the 144,000 singing a new song. A new song before the throne that no one else uh, could sing. The, the playing of the harps. And again it's repeated. 15. Singing the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. A song of redemption. A song that looks at the judgment and says, that's what we deserve, but that's what our God has taken for us. This lamb who is standing is standing as though slain because he underwent death for us and has brought us into his kingdom. And we sing to him. We worship him for his power, his majesty, his love to us and the cost that it was to him. As it puts it, worshiping God for his righteous acts. 
his righteousness and the redemption of his people, calling him to himself the death of his son, his righteousness and the judgment of his enemies. And it says all nations will come and worship. And I will encourage all of you, all of us, to embrace that truth in worshiping the Lamb and singing to him songs of the redemption that he's promised to us of the future that he calls his people to live in light of now.